fell asleep and ate the flowers For a couple of hours On a beautiful day Hey, welcome back to another episode of Not All at Once. I'm Jordan Guess. Hello, I'm Kendall Y. What's up, Kendall? Hopefully Happy Thanksgiving. Just... Yeah. Can you hear the dogs in the background? I, I did hear a dog, yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh this is the studio we're working out of. So uh yeah. The real the real story is that the cleaners were here or are at the house today. And so my dog is over here along with another dog. So they get a little excited. So I guess someone's someone's coming home. So anyways. Well, what's up? How's it going? How you Dude, doing? The World Cup. The World Cup is happening. So I'm a happy man. Um, we are recording today, November 23rd. It is Thanksgiving Eve. And yeah, we, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've got, it sounds like pre-recording You've not been able to watch any of the games quite yet, but yeah, sadly um, I haven't. Um, I do. I don't. I'm not like a soccer fan, uh, but yeah. I do. I do really like watching the World Cup because it's just one of the. It's like the Olympics, you know. It's like a multicultural, oh, yeah. multicultural thing. Although, of course, we had the Olympics this year too, and nobody, nobody cared about them either. I guess there's like no. Nah. I guess the news is enough of enough consumption for, the, for most people. Yeah, I think the yeah, I mean, I think in the States, you know, people people still struggle with soccer because, you know, we've already seen uh, I think it's three or four, um, you know, nil nil matches, no, no scores. And, you know, I think that's difficult for an American audience to wrap their heads around. But there's just so much strategy involved. And, you know, a lot of that is just good defense and good goaltending mm. or uh you know, good work by the goalkeeper. So who's but, no, are, very are, are we going to do well? Who's like, who's going to win? Or there's like a favorite or something. So there's already been a lot of, uh, a lot of mix ups. So I think it was yesterday morning, um, Saudi Arabia kind of shocked the world and they went out and beat Argentina, who is really um, messy. You know, they're messy. Yeah. They're always uh, up there towards the top of, you know, really good, teams that have strong chance spain looked really good today they beat uh oh who did they beat costa rica guess what the score was you got to give me a you get one guess well it sounds like it'd be crazy so i don't know like seven to zero okay it was seven to zero was it really it really was it was seven to zero look at me i'm sure you haven't i gotta buy a lottery ticket i gotta buy a lottery yeah you really do (laughs) (laughs) yeah seven oh so that was uh, that was embarrassing and sad to watch for Costa Rica, but um, but yeah, Spain's out on a good foot or on the right foot, and then um, yeah, Germany lost too. So which is another kind of crazy thing. So I think if Germany loses again, they're for sure out. Because are you familiar with how it works? How the tournament works? There's like pool play first, and then they go yep. into like actual bracket play. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So we're kind of everyone's guaranteed at least three matches to the people in their group. And then from there, the top two teams from each move on. So the United States will, we'll just have to see like they, they had a draw with, um, with, uh, who was it? Wasn't maybe it was Iran. I was, I was, uh, I had to do some work stuff on, um, 
Monday, so I did not get to watch the game, sadly. But I know we have England on Friday, and that's like a big game. And I know we tied on our game on Monday. So so we need to pull out a win at some point. England is going to be a tough, tough one for us. But, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, it's like it's kind of this microcosm of, you know, what we see. It's so hard to picture, like, the global economy, you know, of all of these different players throughout the entire globe interconnected and trading and, you know what I'm saying, and having competitive advantages. But like you can turn on the World Cup and you, and at least obviously it's much different and much simpler than all the different markets that are at play every day. But at least it kind of gives you a little bit of a visual of what's happening day to day, you know, the competition amongst nations. Yeah. So, oh, wow. That's poetic. I like the that. game theory out there. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So that's kind of what I've been up to. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much done working uh for thanksgiving i'll probably work on friday a little bit so yeah just gonna be chilling and and, uh enjoying some family time so what about you what's been up with you sir oh you know same old i hung some bookshelves bookshelves on my wall i don't know i saw it i can show you oh yeah there they are right there i saw it on your instagram i saw your uh your chip war you got the chip wars up there that's right have you uh have you gotten through that book yet? I haven't read that one yet. No, I just I just bought it. It actually just came out. I mean, like right. Someone was just talking about that. I can't remember who it was on a podcast. Um, I don't know. Nothing know. else. I guess I don't know what else is new. There's a lot new, but only so much. Only so much time in the podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, okay. So, um, maybe we start really quick. I think. You know, we promised everyone last week that we talk a little bit more about Ethereum, which mm-hmm. I think I think we should uh, we should stick to that at some point. Um, but I mean, real quick, we can kind of just talk about overall markets um, for whatever reason. We've gotten a little little bit of a Bitcoin and crypto pump. I guess it's just today, right? Or is it maybe even the past couple of days? Tuesday, risk ass- risk assets in general the past week or two have been done have done reasonably well you know minus the ftx bullshit caused a lot of crypto to crash obviously but yeah but yeah i mean i think that um there's actually been an increase in liquidity i think i think there's been a movement of like capital out of the reverse repo which has increased liquidity which is like sort of effectively like a quantitative easing sort of event which leads to you know risk assets pumping yeah. Did you ha- so Luke Groman's piece was uh, was kind of all about that was essentially about like when are we going to who's going to win out in this war that he is that he predicts or essentially is speculating that is happening at the Federal Reserve right now between those that want a strong dollar versus those who want strong strong uh, treasuries market right mm-hmm. is that kind of, that's kind of the dichotomy there that's right yeah. So that was really interesting to me because right now it seems we are in the um, we are in a weak U.S. Treasuries market, strong dollar, and again when we say strong dollar, we mean relative to other currencies that are out there. Obviously, the dollar, uh, as it were, last year is weaker today because the purchasing power has gone down. Um, but 
Yeah, it was it was really interesting because it essentially was. I mean, I don't know if you how in depth you got into his article, but the just sheer volume of treasuries that they're seeing being sold off, you know, on a I think he was I think he was measuring it in a monthly basis, I think. But it was like it could it's pretty much on the low end, about five trillion. I can pull up the article to make sure I have the right frequency down. But it's between five trillion dollars and eight trillion dollars is what we could be seeing flow out of the U.S. Treasury market mm. um, here soon. So that was kind of crazy because a lot hinges on that, right? Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, um, so it's not like it's not as straightforward as just like dollar up, Treasuries down. Because okay. eventually, eventually you get to the point where, because see, treasuries are denominated in in dollars, right? Um, there's two things that are bad for treasuries. Inflation is bad for treasuries because yep. your, denom- your denomination is losing purchasing power. But then another thing's bad for treasuries is, oh wait, you know what? Yeah, that's actually the main thing right there is inflation. Yeah, inflation you're is essentially paying it back with dollars that are worth less. Yeah. There's, there's another thing too, which is like, you can, you can basically, if your dollar gets too strong, you can induce insolvency risks across the global financial system because the dollar, you know, like your ability to pay back, most debts are denominated in dollars in some capacity. So your ability to pay back that debt becomes more difficult, which risks insolvency. But the thing about treasuries is that treasuries are the liability of the U.S. government, and the U.S. government can effectively never default. Um, but to Luke Groman's, I think Luke has another point here, which is what Lynn Alden is also talking about, which is that um, we're going to have a a like a fiscal problem because mm-hmm. our tax receipts won't be able to pay for for the outstanding treasury payments like or yeah something like that so that's They're like that to... that's that other one which is so like the first one that's bad for treasuries is inflation the second thing that's bad for treasuries is potential insolvencies which cause eventually the US government just is like well how are we going to pay we can't so like it's not cuz it's not like the treasury they have to grow their balance sheet and they have to pretty much print to make up for the difference that's exactly correct because it's not actually the case that the treasury literally prints money out of thin air it's mm-hmm. a they it's that they they issue debt right they issue treasury bonds that someone has to be on the other end of normally to buy that's right. yeah but they can also just yeah, they don't have to necessarily print. They can just essentially, it's just balance sheet maneuvering where they can, if they really needed to, they could also just go in and be the and be the uh, the buy order to the sell order too, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, I think, yeah, I mean, we're getting sort of in, into the technicals here, but those are the broad things. I mean, if you're asking me my opinion, I think dollar's still up. I think dollar, I think the Dixie is more likely to hit. So the Dixie right now is at 106. The Dixie is more likely to hit 150 than it is to hit 70, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so, well, Which I guess that measure that measures just so anyone's not aware that measures um, the dollar strength relative to 
basket of other currencies. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. yeah, that's all interesting stuff. You want to talk about Ethereum though? That's like really what you want to get to, isn't it? Yeah, because that way we'll get some, you know, some we'll get some hate mail. Yeah, yeah, some people, you know, <laughs> send us some death threats. Like, yeah. So yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about Ethereum because, um, you know, Ethereum. It's gone through some changes this year, I hear. And then, um, yeah, they've definitely not... Everyone has been subject to this downturn uh, to differing degrees, but it's it's pretty interesting. Like, do you have any thoughts about how closely tied from a percentage basis Bitcoin and Ethereum move up and down? Do, do you have any insight to that? To someone who's like, it's so curious. It's like Bitcoin's down 2%, Ethereum's down 4%, 3 or 4%. And, you know, the same on the other end. Is it just because of different allocations from different hedge funds and stuff where they just kind of move in concert like that? Or is it just the natural free market? Yeah, there's a there's a really sophisticated like mechanics thing here that I think goes on. I can okay. try I can try to articulate my understanding. I think in a word, the so the answer to your question in a single word is leverage. Mm. Okay. And I think if you sort of put the FTX debacle into context here, you'll see sort of what I'm trying to get at. So you have in the crypto markets, the most uh, stable of all the ass of all the crypto assets is Bitcoin actually. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the next least stable or the next more volatile, let's put it that way. The next more volatile would be Ethereum. And then you can keep going out the risk curve. You go um, even more volatile is Solana, Avalanche, mm-hmm. Tron, these like second tier uh, altcoins. Yeah. Um, or second generation altcoins. Um, and then you can go even further out the risk curve when you get into like the illiquid, absolute dog shit shit coins. Like, you know, like Shiba, you know, these types of things, you know. FTT. FTT, that's right. <laughs> um, so, so these you can just sort of visualize a general risk curve here, right? Yeah. And the reason why they become increasingly volatile is because you get traders. It's funny the word trader also sounds like traitor. You know, like you're a traitor. Yeah. You're a traitor to the realm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but so you get these traders who. Effectively, Bitcoin is sort of the base collateral of this like crypto shitcoin casino, right? Yeah. And um, so it, it can be used as collateral to take out loans. And then they go out the risk curve. And then it just becomes like this like degenerate gambler casino where they're all looking at the order book and they have like specific visualizations that they use to see other, other people's moves and they're trying to see here's okay. Here's what I'm trying to get at. This is the weird thing. Credit lenders can effectively be weaponized against market spot market prices. Right. It's a weird thing because we actually saw this in like the curve protocol this past week. I think it was curve or Ave or some shit somebody effectively took out a massive loan on one of these DeFi protocols, which is all permissionless. And they deployed that into like a spot market of a particular asset. 
which like totally manipulated the price of that asset, right? Because you take out this a thousand to one loan and you deploy, you buy a bunch of the asset, which jacks up the price. And so you can see how like the, yeah. the concept of credit is actually a weapon. So as you, so all these traders use that to sort of like magnify their their propensity to move the risky assets, right? Yeah. So that's why that's and those have lower market caps, so they're easier to move. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't take nearly as many actors to pump the price up with leverage, then dump on retail. And essentially it seems like that's that was a lot of what happened in 2021, um, with kind of Alameda potentially leading the way. No, I totally um, agree. I don't mean to be like overly cynical this is like a the max cynical take um of the shitcoin casino <laughs> is that all of the all the price action that we saw over the last two years was basically like five individuals across the planet going max long as possible they all go max long together and they all mm -hmm. take out massive loans from these lenders like billions of dollars and that they basically totally manipulated the price right and what's interesting about this this dynamic, which is true to some extent, I'm not sure how true it is in terms of like, did they really pump the price of ETH, you know, 20x? I don't know. That's kind of difficult to do. Maybe it's maybe they did it, maybe they didn't. But what's interesting about this dynamic is that that dynamic actually underprices Bitcoin because you see right. Bitcoin is the base collateral, and what happens is they're using that to take out margin margin loans which is effectively a leveraged IOU more it's like the, the the number of paper bitcoins in the system is tremendous right now i mean it's massive yeah. so yeah. like if you like the real fundamentals here is like the crypto market cap at its peak got to like 3 trillion right and bitcoin got to 1 trillion my opinion would be that like the real the real value would be more appropriate place to like Bitcoin should have been at about two trillion, to maybe a little yeah. over two trillion. Which, interestingly enough, would have put it just above a hundred k, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just it is just going to take so much time for all of this to wash out because I think, yeah, essentially what you're describing is the traders or hedge fund like desks, like the Alameda, they were essentially the ones using a lot of this using this leverage and then we still we just it's still early we don't know exactly the extent of the exchanges and obviously ftx is that is uh that was all paper bitcoin or at least when they released um you know the latest balance sheet last week there was no bitcoin um on there so the and then the other question is well um, how clean is Binance when it comes to paper Bitcoin? How clean is Coinbase? Um, because even a Coinbase, while you know, while they're more regulated and they're publicly traded and all that, you just you never know. And it seemed like you cannot you can't trust any of these centralized centralized exchanges. So yeah, I'm with you. Uh it uh, like it it pains me to essentially see that the Bitcoin price is down where it is. But in the back of my head, it's like the true market, the like the free market price of Bitcoin is much higher than that. It's it much just higher. Is. Yeah. 
And so well, that's what people have to understand right now. You can't like, get caught up in the in the the framing of free market though, because like what we experienced was the free market, right? The free market actually selected the shitcoin casino. But yeah. so but I but I hear your your broader point here, which is that um basically you get these like a bunch of degenerates that that um sort of uh exploit the system and they're all just a bunch of like frauds and mm-hmm. And because of them, the price of Bitcoin is massively undervalued. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it it all goes back to this, to a fiat mindset of like, you know, trying to get more for less at all times. Right. Which I, I wouldn't say that's a free or a fiat mindset necessarily. That is just like, that's the baseline mindset. Sure. No, I think that's but a doing fair, it. Yeah. I but think doing that's a, it. Go ahead. Sorry. That's a fair framing. I think that's totally a fair framing. To, to yeah. Label. To label that fiat i mean i really think that's what fiat is it's like papering over well, it's not necessarily getting uh it's getting something for nothing that's what that's what they were doing sure because essentially all of efficiency is trying to get more for less and that's okay like that's what we're you know that's what we've been doing for the past three decades with the internet and with all the technology that's come out but it's the problem is the getting something for literally nothing Mm-hmm. And that's that's essentially the world we've been living in now with with the cryptocurrency craze for I would say at least the last two or three years. And so and it was really easy when rates, you know, when it was a perfect storm because the rates were near zero for COVID. And essentially you had people locked up, they were looking at their phones, checking Robinhood, checking. I mean, it was a perfect storm. If you're if you are operating in the back room, assuming that is happening. You know, it's kind of the perfect storm to get retail to just jump on the boat, dump at the top. And you kind of know you if you're all in cahoots, like you know what I'm saying? I don't know if that's happening, but um I mean I wouldn't would I don't think it's it's like unreasonable to say that so we have like some of these like actors in the space who are clearly frauds, which are SBF, people at Alameda, the three AC guys, which consist of Suzu and Kyle Davies. Um, there's like Justin Sun. I mean, there's probably even a few more. CZ, I don't know if CZ is really, it's hard to read on CZ. It's hard to read. But I don't think it's totally unreasonable to say that there was cartelish behavior, right? Where, mm-hmm. see, like OPEC is a cartel, right? And cartels yeah. in regulated markets are illegal. You cannot have individuals which group together, which manipulate the price of the markets. But I don't think it's totally unreasonable to say that that occurred in the past two years in the crypto markets, at least to some degree, right? I don't mm-hmm. know how, I don't know how rampant it was, but I think for sure it occurred. Okay, no, that makes sense. Okay, so so we understand that there's paper Bitcoin, and that the price is heavily suppressed right now. Probably was very much suppressed in the bull run. No matter what the dynamics were, it should have gone much higher. Um, now let's, let's switch over. Let's talk to talk about Ethereum. You know, is Mm -hmm. it a similar case with, where there's also paper Ethereum also, you know, obviously the, the, uh, dynamics of the supply of Ethereum changes, um, with however Vitalik and the foundation is feeling, but, um, I guess, so they're not exactly the same, right? The, the distribution that comes out every so often different, right? Especially with the new proof of stake, but how do you see the Ethereum network right now? Give it to mm-hmm. us, Kendall. Okay. Hold, hold back nothing. 
All right. Hold no punches. So you do, I do actually think that there is probably outstanding paper ETH, right? Mm-hmm. Which is to say that ETH is actually undervalued in the same mechanism that I just described as BTC. So um, because ETH is used as another form of collateral in a lot of these DeFi mechanisms and a lot of these lending desks will take, will take ETH. Now, ETH is a troubled child. There is a fundamental analysis problem of ETH. And, or, you know, ETH, there wasn't this narrative of ETH as money until the recent, until like the ultrasound money sort of narrative emerged, right? Mm-hmm. For most of the life of ETH, ETH was considered gas, right? It was a bandwidth value for participating in the Ethereum network. So it's almost like um, it's like buying bandwidth from your internet provider. It's like that bandwidth is not money. It's just like that's the that's the what you have to you have to pay money in order to participate in that network, right? Yeah. Yep. Um. So. But then there's like this emerging sort of narrative among the ETH people trying to sort of outdo Bitcoin and say ETH is a better money than Bitcoin. And so then you have to get into the world of world of like, is ETH a better money than Bitcoin? And this conversation has been had a bajillion times, but this is the truth. There, there are two competing sides here on one side. People say, well, in order for something to be money, it has to be sort of useful to to the broader economy. You know, air quotes around economy. Okay, that's a very important. Like, mm-hmm. I know De- DeFi, there's a lot of really important stuff going on in DeFi, but uh, like, what's the actual productive economic value of these systems? So far, it is zero, but it potential to be something into the future. Um. So, so this like one side where they're like, well, in order for something to be money, it has to be useful. And, and then they're like, they try to make this like sort of roundabout argument that BTC is not a useful form of money because of its network or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you don't need to, you don't need the network to, it's, it's a, it's a bullshit argument. Okay. That's my point. Essentially. Well, one of the big things was, was uh, throughput in the block size wars and all that. Right. That's right. Well, so there's just like, I don't understand there's a conflation between the asset and the network that people really need to figure like the mainstream narrative really needs to figure this out, that those are two different things. Right. Mm -hmm. And with ETH and Ethereum, they constantly try to conflate those things as if they are like the same thing. And they're like, well, you can't do smart contracting on Bitcoin. And so therefore, Bitcoin, the asset is like not valuable. And it's like, well, hold on. Those are two different things. Like, um, so, so yeah, like I know there was like, there's all these concepts around like the block size wars and throughput and smart contracting and all this stuff, but like, it doesn't, you can still use Bitcoin in like a decentralized economy. Like, right. You don't have right. to, it's not like the Bitcoin network is like this sort of like 
all-encompassing platform for decentralization and decentralized finance and all this like stuff. Bitcoin, the network serves one purpose, Bitcoin, the asset, that's all it serves. Okay. It's mm -hmm. not, it's not trying to be like, see, there's like this weird Silicon Valley-esque network effect. It's, it's a, like a, I really think it's like a fiat bullshit mindset where they're like, we're just trying to capture as much of the platform, as much of the base platform as we can, because then we can use all of our leverage tools to create the value to us and that value belongs to us. Well, that doesn't really work because your network effect is not near as strong as you think it is. And it doesn't even, there's no technical reason for that to exist, right? Bitcoin, the network re recognizes that they're like the, the real cypherpunks are the Bitcoin developers because they're like, you don't have to have, in order to have all these things like DeFi and multi-sig custody and like all these different amazing things, which are amazing things, you don't have to have the Bitcoin network do those things. Those things can yeah. be built by different networks. Okay. Like mm -hmm. the net. So, so yeah, this is the, yeah, this is me holding no punches. against. Well, well it, it seems like, it seems like Ethereum is essentially like a, a lot like a VC fund where they have to come in. They are like, you know, it's so confusing that it wouldn't make a lot of sense to you, but it's because you are less smart than us, but you know, just trust us. This there's so there's so much opportunity here, and then you just say DeFi enough, even though DeFi most of DeFi, quote unquote, is very much central centralized, right? Solana very centralized, but people would say, if if you think DeFi, you think Ethereum smart contracts, and you think Solana now with whatever they're doing with NFTs and smart contracts. And mm -hmm. Whereas both of those networks are completely centralized or much more centralized than um, something like a Bitcoin. So, I mean, to me, it seems obvious. Like if it's just like you build those DeFi, actual DeFi products on something like a Lightning Network, like it's that to mm -hmm. me just seems very to make a lot of sense to me. But so it's not, obviously yeah. like that goes against all of the ETH head, you know, those types. Um, yeah. Like you know, all the narratives. The, the thing is, is that the problem with this like sort of VC approach that we're both describing here, which is like capture the network value, right? Like go out and capture the network, grow at all costs. You can be unprofitable, capture the network. The, um, the problem with that is that it implies that it implies a form of exploitation, they are they are expecting to exploit people eventually, right? They're like, we're not going to do it now, but we're going to do it soon, right? Yeah, yeah. And the question is, why do you have to exploit people at all, right? <laughs> why don't you build a system that will never be expected to exploit people, right? I mean, you see this in like Airbnb, Uber. The prices on all those products are now like skyrocketed, right? Yep. It's no, it's no longer competitive to go buy an Airbnb versus a hotel. It is now cheaper to buy a hotel. And guess what? That's because the hotel industry is the economical way to scale that business, right? That is like the the industrial solution that has been tried and true for many decades. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a, it's the same thing, yeah. So, so yeah, that's why there's like a moral argument here, which the Bitcoiners are right. They are right mm -hmm. that like these VCs are trying to like es essentially exploit future users. Right. And, and like, I have an issue with that. Okay. So 
but there is a compelling, I can make a compelling counter argument. I don't know how to say this, but like something about finance is heavily political, right? It's like politics really does rule finance. And there's a reason why Western markets are heavily regulated because you, you know, you need to like, in order to stop someone like, or like, let me put it this way, SBF, CZ, whoever, all these guys, they were operating in the free market, right? And like, yeah, yeah. we we want like we want to apply politics to to stop people that those things like that from happening, right? Um, and okay, so I'm making this broader point, which is that finance is very political. Um, I I think there's a compelling argument to be made that you have to sort of like introduce this like shitcoin casino in order to build a coalition, right? You, it's like, you can't build a coalition. You can't reach the mainstream headlines, like with just this like libertarian ideal that is Bitcoin. Like that doesn't, for some reason, it's just like why I think about like, um, who's uh, Ron Paul, right? So you're familiar with Ron Paul and there's all these old videos of like Ron Paul at like the 2004 or two like these like presidential debates where he's just like in hindsight this guy is spitting truth i mean my god everything he says it's on point and yet mm -hmm. nobody listens to him nobody listens to him and and it's like and even today ron paul probably people wouldn't listen to him right and it's like there there is something humbling about that like you're like well you know it's great that that's true but like we also have to scale it like we have to get it into the mainstream right and so so this is my this is my compelling counter argument which is that perhaps you need this like shitcoin casino to exist in order to build the coalition and that's why i often frame ethereum in the world of a founder's dilemma so unfortunately ethereum or eth the asset in my opinion will ultimately suffer but it, it's like it has to exist in order to in order for the broader mission to come about. But then, like eventually, the world wakes up and they're like, "Oh wow, this thing actually doesn't have any much fundamental value." And then at that point, it kind of dies, right? I think all of that's my working thesis. The question is, if you're like an investor or like you know, really you're a trader, right? If you're trying to trade these things, the question is, when does that happen? Is that is that true today? Is the FTX debacle gonna you know, set that all into, into, into path or, you know, into, into, into movement, but like, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Right. Um, yeah. it's hard, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially, it feels like it goes right back to the, we have to exploit people. Like we just want this, we want something for nothing. And, um, and yeah, like a lot of people will just, I see this all over the place in terms of like life. People just sometimes just don't face the truth for better mm -hmm. or worse, like people on mass, right? Um, they know something to be true, even in the back of their head, but maybe they've like played into some kind of narrative for so long. Um, which is why I love the fact that Bitcoin is just built on first principles and it's, you know, is just pure and we don't have the founder's dilemma. We don't know who the founder is. And so. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to play some role. It's a question of what role does it play. Um, one other question I did have is, uh, 
does it mean do you think any of this changes the question of security versus commodity for mm. ethereum the, the asset to me yeah. it just seems so obvious and then i don't even think gary gensler gary gensler has no he should be out he he should not be making any decisions for this industry anymore because he's obviously t- way too i mean we're going to learn more i guess over the coming months but from the early reports it seems like gary gensler uh cannot be trusted with this decision because he's mm-hmm. he's just too intertwined with the industry seemingly whether it is true or not i think it's going to be hard for um bitcoiners i'll say on mass to like trust his his like judgment when when all the stuff that we think we know about ftx if it turns out to be true right that he had connection mm-hmm. he obviously had some connection right but it's just a matter of how much yeah i mean it's it might be like his staff had some connection but not necessarily him yeah. i don't know i've always actually people always really dog on gensler but i've actually always been I actually kind of like Gensler, but you know, I kind of feel like maybe it's like the right guy, but the wrong circumstances. Um, it's just frustrating because of... he definitely understands Bitcoin, but um, he's really upsetting me with with uh, the ETF stuff. And but yeah, let's talk about the let's talk about the commodity because I know in the past, just so we're clear, in the past, Kindle has gone back and forth a little, maybe. Maybe it's not true. back and forth, but you've been on the side of um, Ethereum is a commodity, or that will be what they come the conclusion that the SEC and CFTC come to. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's difficult to say. I've definitely gone back and forth on this. Um, I mean, our goal here is to like try to try to predict the future. <clears throat> I think that I don't know. Okay. I don't know, really. I mean, I think that I can see it both ways. The thing is, is there, you know, like on a, if you just look at the, like the fine print, if you look at the fine print, then yes, there's a very compelling narrative that ETH is clearly a security, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so if you're just like following the, the law, edge of my seat right there, <laughs> like if you're following the law, then yeah. <laughs> But who does that anymore? That's so lame. I mean, you we say that in jest, but that's actually like that's the truth, right? Yeah. Again, that's the Silicon Valley thing. You know, like with Uber, they grew Uber. Like their growth strategy for Uber was like we fully expect to be sued by most of these like city councils, right? We fully expect city councils to sue us, but we're still gonna do it. Um so but the thing, I mean, there's like on the the other side, there is sufficient like political coalition to see ETH as a commodity. So it's difficult to go against like the people, right? Um, it goes back to the politics and finance conversation. Yeah, exactly. So, totally, totally. Yeah. But I think with, I think if FTX doesn't fall apart, then I see much more of, of the possibility of um, Ethereum being treated as a commodity because they're the biggest players are kind of in the the back pockets of a lot of the politicians and regulators. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do that because we understand that it'll be good for the industry. 
Um, but now it seems to me like now that that's been exposed, um, I think everyone kind of has to button themselves up and make sure that the decisions they make over the next six to 12 months regarding this industry are sound and um, can hold up to scrutiny. So for that reason, as well as the reason that just anybody who you explained the, uh, the Howie test to would be able to tell you, yes, Ethereum is uh, has an issuer, has a centralized kind of a board more or less. So it is, it looks a lot more like Apple stock than it does like, you know, oil or gold. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, we'll just, we'll have to see. It seems like everything's been moving so slowly with all this um, regulation talk in the crypto world for so long. And I hope that this speeds it up because it would, as we've all, you know, as we've said a lot on this podcast, it would be very good for Bitcoin. I don't know about anything else in crypto space, but definitely for Bitcoin, I think some regulation would be good. Um, but obviously you need to, uh, it needs to be contained. It can't just be this free for all where, you know, you're not able to privately use your Bitcoin if, if you want to slash know how to do that. Um, so it's such a fine line, but we'll kind of see, we'll just see how it plays out. So, yeah, I think my, uh, my my trigger words are Twitter, Elon Musk, and Ethereum. Mm. <laughs> you need to go to your safe space now after this. Yes. I need Decompress. to go on a long walk. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of Ethereum, the well, the other big fallout that I don't think was really quite quite clear when we talked last week. Um was all the stress that is now uh, among people who who pumped slash played any part in the advertising of uh, of FTX, uh, BlockFi, any of these, and um, you know Peter McCormick caught up in that. Um, now some of these are like legal, and others are just like public opinion is just you know putting them through the ringer. Peter's probably in the latter, um, or so at least from what I understand. Yeah. I mean, I don't think uh, that you can, I don't think you can pursue legal action over like a, an advertisement right now. I think if an individual is like, this is my personal opinion, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you you know, maybe you're entering gray space there. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not a legal expert. Yeah. Same. I mean, the Pompliano stuff to me is like the one that seems more clear of like, he was, uh, I've just never trusted that guy. He's always, to me, he's always kind of just seemed out of place in the big, specifically in the Bitcoin world, you know, makes mm-hmm. perfect sense for him to be a VC or be in uh, like yield farming or stuff like that, you know, but like <laughs> the fact that he was like where he belongs. The he, yeah. The fact that he tried to like play this and he still does this where he plays this middle ground of like out of one side of his mouth, he's like, yeah, I, you know, all this DeFi stuff, you know, all these other cryptos, they've got their use cases, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's out of one side. And the other side is like Bitcoin, Bitcoin only more or less, you know? Yeah. And so, and I don't it's, listen to him a ton, so you'd probably know a little bit more, but 
Um, well, I don't listen. I don't. Of... I don't listen to him either. But it is hilarious how, and it's he's not the only one. But it's like as soon as shit hits the fans, all of a sudden people are like, um, um, you know, when you have like an army and you're like, no, go back. What's it called? Um, <laughs> what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? When you have a retreat, like they're like retreat. retreating. They're retreating back to Bitcoin. They're like, oh no, Bitcoin is the only one. It's like, dude, go like play the tapes from six months ago. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, look, I think that there's been a lot of LARPing. Okay. There's been a lot of LARPing that I've seen. And there's a lot of grifting. And I think that the grifters are really getting wrecked right now. I mean, it's this weird thing with like, look, I'm an, I'm an engineer and I always have a bias towards like engineering and technicals and like the sales team, sales team and engineering are always at odds. Right. And that, I've been dealing with this my whole, my whole professional career. Um, and like, we're, like the engineers are always like, why are the, why do the marketing, why does the marketing department get so much money? Right. And it's like, they're basically shilling bullshit like we're trying to build something true and they're like selling lies and like that's just morally incompatible with with our with our compass um so 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 like this but there's like this weird thing it's again like the same conversation with like maybe you need a shitcoin casino in order for to reach the headlines right it's like how do ideas scale to the masses right you kind of need someone you need like a marketer or salesperson in there that is like sort of out there shilling bullshit, right? But where's the line between like salesperson and grifter, right? Where does it where does it become a grift? Where is it just like a he's you know they're just trying to do their part type of thing? Are they like they're sort of like blissfully ignorant that they're that they are telling lies, right? I don't know. I mean, that's like I think I don't know. I wish I had an answer for that, right? <laughs> we we find an answer for that. I'll sleep well at night. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one that surprised me the most was um was Bankless, um you know, essentially just I think what I, the number I heard that they were getting paid was roughly two fifty two hundred fifty thousand a month mm. is what I heard um from FTX. yeah the uh, so yeah the the Bankless guys I'm sorry to interrupt you but the I okay. look the Bankless guys are innocent but it's like they're innocent because they don't know that they're spreading bullshit into the world right i do truly believe like there are a ton of people in this world like this these are like this is like the salesperson that they're just doing their job type of thing and i don't blame the individual right they're like just doing they're just like they don't realize that they are spreading effectively disinformation, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And there are a lot of people in the, in the media outlet that do that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I, I know it's for, we've, we've had conversations already about, um, you know, which advertisers do we bring on, you know, the, the requests keep pouring in and we're having to be very, um, <laughs> <laughs> no if we well we talk you know you know to be fully transparent we've had that conversation already of like once we continue doing the podcast do how do we want to monetize if all if at all and both of us looked at each other back in florida last i don't know two three weeks ago and essentially said 
it's not advertising got to be a different way. So we're still working through that, but um, yeah, I think you just have to be very careful if you're going to go that route of just doing advertisements. Um, Even if you do a good amount of due diligence, there's always still the risk, right? I mean, heck um, prime trust is at least has been mentioned in some circles of, as being caught up in all of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can't trust prime trust, um, I mean, that's, that's very much, you know what I'm saying? That's very much a Bitcoin only, yeah. uh, you know, type of, type of, uh, bank that helps with Swan and helps with uh, strike and all those. And so, so you made me think of something, okay, which is where is the line between salesperson and grifter grifters will like, they know that they're telling a lie, right? If you're aware that you're telling a lie, you know, I got, I got questions for you. And so let me bring up my favorite grifter of all time, Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) So Elon Musk spent well over a decade promoting a Tesla. We are never going to do advertising. We think advertising is terrible. It's bad for the world, blah, 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 terrible. And then he buys Twitter. And what's his message? What's the message he sends out? When done correctly, advertisement can please and delight the individual and potentially inform. That is a grift, okay? That's a grift. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as well as I know, Twitter is a completely different business model than Tesla. Tesla is so cool that it doesn't need a marketing department. I'm okay with with advertising. Twitter, that is one of their rev- one of their. I think that's their. Yeah, it's got to be their main revenue source. I totally agree, but don't get up on this. You know, I would have more respect for Elon if you were like, I still hate advertising, but we have to do it. Yeah, I mean, he needs to get back on Joe Rogan. If he goes back on Joe Rogan, he'll probably say that. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I'll be okay <laughs> with that. Man, Elon. Uh... I think that was between our this podcast and the last one we recorded last week. People were freaking out. They thought uh, Twitter was going down. That I know that was that was hilarious. I was I was participating in the meme, but it's just very ironically, people. It's just like the, you know, it's like the woke left mob who has like uh, this sort of like panic. They have like panic mm-hmm. mode, and they're like, "Oh, the world is ending." <laughs> it was it was that. But look, Twitter not going down. It's a pretty easy service to operate, frankly. They don't need like hardcore engineering like Elon's selling. So it'll be fine. Yeah. I think, uh, I do think it has, because what, we've gone now five or six days since like literally people were like, we're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to have to go back to Club Penguin because (laughs) we're not going to have Twitter anymore. I did love those memes. If Twitter goes down, everybody meet up here. Yes. It was Club Penguin. Um, so I think it proves to a lot of tech executives, uh, what do we got going here with, uh, with this tech? Um, you know, are we, do we have way too many employees that are all just doing like not much, right? Well, yeah. Like it, I could, so, cause I work in this industry. I can tell you the way, what the truth is here. The truth all is, right. the truth is that the tech the tech giants do have way too many tech employees, but um, the tech market across the entire economy is still, there's still a lack of supply. Yeah, You know, people go to Facebook because Facebook pays like two or three times what the real value should be. And by the way, they do that through their equity, 
which is all pumped back this VC narrative. Okay. Not to really shit on when the times trilogy. are good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that boat is over or that boat yeah. is sailed. Okay. That, that show is over. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, cause like you'll see, you know, the tech engineers need to go work at the boring companies, boring, not Elon's boring company, the real boring companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, don't work under Elon. I'm sure it's like the worst thing ever. I've heard that repeatedly throughout the years. Do not go work at Tesla. You will hate it. I, I heard that repeatedly. And now Elon's just out in public proving it. Okay. He's going to have a real talent problem. I'm not like, he's going to have to pay his, he's going to actually have to pay his engineers two or three X because nobody's going to want to work for him. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, we'll see. We need engineers to go work in like agriculture and like trucking and like, you know, like the boring things, you know, nothing. Those are yeah. great jobs, you know? Oh Yeah. I just pulled up Twitter actually for the first time today. And the first tweet I see is from Kendall Y. Are we still all going to make it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's great. I always hated that meme. I always hated it (laughs) because it has like this like participation trophy, like frankly, like communistic type of ethos to it where it's like, oh, we're all comrades. You know, I'm like, chill out, guys. Okay, my God. (laughs) <laughs> I want to quote it and be like, maybe 50% of us will make it. <laughs> yes. Oh man. All right. Well, I'm trying to think what else, what else there is out there. I know there's a few other things. Um, oh, I I'm going to one, I heard really good things about the Pacific Bitcoin conference. Um, very much tempted to go ahead and snag a ticket. For that next year um but i should probably ask my wife she's not done quite yet so but uh i'm gonna go down to uh i think i told you this already but go ahead and put it out there so a little teaser doing the uh nash bit devs um i think in a week or two so maybe i'll maybe i'll go and meet mr odell for the first time yeah yeah uh, matt i'm sure matt's a great dude yeah, he seems awesome. So great dude to have a beer with. Well, um, oh yeah, but not not for me. You know, non-alcoholic beer for me. I had one yeah. of those. I had one of those non-alcoholic beers. And, it smells so weird. And uh, yeah, they're funny. They do taste like a real beer. It is like definitely like I felt myself. There's certainly like a psychosomatic element to like mm. drinking, you know, because I definitely yeah. felt like I was getting like a little tipsy, and I was like, hold on a second, what's going on here? Like, does it actually have beer alcohol in it? Nope. It's just yeah. all all in your mind, Kendall. All in your mind. <laughs> really quick, do you have any thoughts on on the real estate market right now? Um, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know enough about it, honestly. Okay. We'll see. I mean, one. a lot of the charts okay. look terrible, but mm-hmm. but the thing is, is that it's all just supply and demand, right? And there may actually not be a large supply increase because so many people have these like 3% mortgage rates and they're not gonna, they're like, why would I ever sell that, right? I would never sell that. So, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Supply and demand, we'll see. Yeah, I just saw, you know, if you're a realtor out there, best of luck to you. Um, 
and as with everybody, every industry, right. I do truly wish everyone well, but, um, the coming back to the sales thing versus the grift thing a little bit. Um, I saw someone post today or this past week, they said, um, buying a house, they had this little graphic buying a house six months ago versus today. And essentially the listing price is the same for 450,000, six months ago, it sold for 500 and today it's selling for 425. Essentially like you used to be fighting with all these people over bidding. Now you've got some more leverage as a buyer, you can talk it down and then 10% down on both deals. But the major difference is six months ago, it was a four and a half percent interest rate today to six and a half percent interest rate. And they're, you know, they're talking about purchasing the same exact house. So, and their whole point was the payment today, your monthly payment is only going to be like 25 bucks more per month. And so, and I've heard several real estate agents make this claim, but me being me, I ran, no, I didn't say anything because I'm not going to, not going to create some internet drama. (laughs) Not my vibe anymore. That's why I like you. That's why I like you. (laughs) I just did the math and just kept it to myself. But um, I ran both numbers, you know, so I ran essentially like a little bit lower mortgage um, today, but, you know, a two percentage, uh, two percentage points more on the interest rate. And this person would end up paying about a hundred thousand dollars more in interest over the 30 year term. Mm. And I think that people really need to try to take that into consideration when they're, when they're, you know, going down this path. And I don't know what the exact right answer is, but obviously real estate agents have every incentive in the world for you to go ahead and buy right this moment. um, No matter what the price is, no matter what the interest rate is. And so it's a really tricky thing because Yes, the monthly amount is is roughly the same. Um, and that is assuming that you can get the house down. Um, but I don't know. It just, Look, to me, it felt a little bit like you're not telling the whole story. No, totally, and, totally. And it's one of your, you know, it's one of, it's someone's biggest purchase that they'll, that they're going to make. And so it's just another one of those things where people, they're not told the whole story um, when it comes to money. And Absolutely. it's just a very consistent, yeah. And it's not just real estate, obviously. It's it's across the board. Um, but people end up making bad decisions that that affect them for literally decades. So the, the thing is, the problem with real estate agents is that they're overpaid. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> okay. So let's arbitrary numbers say I have a three hundred thousand dollar house, and you're telling me. I got to pay 6% of that, of that gross value, um, which is $18,000. So I got to pay you $18,000 cash for in order for you to walk people around, around the home and have them sign pieces of paper. Like get the fuck out of here. That is not worth $18,000. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I think people who are able to price their services as a percentage of an asset just inherently do way better in life because you know they're just like oh this is just an industry rule and there's not really i mean you can lower it i know i know people can they don't 
People un people underestimate how easy it is to get the market value for your house. You don't need to like have a real estate agent come in and they'll be like, well, you're going to pay me 6%, but I'm actually going to get you 10% more. No, hogwash, hogwash. So you're saying, Kendall, you're saying that maybe we should try to invent something like a peer-to-peer -peer payments network that we could essentially transfer real-life value over that network? Well, yeah, exactly. Maybe every 10 minutes? We already we already have that. And it's called 30 called, days? It's called duffel bags of cash. <laughs> and I don't think I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can do that. Oh, okay. One, how difficult would it be to get three hundred thousand dollars physical dollars out of a bank? Yeah, yeah. You want to talk difficult. about raising suspicions? You'll have the FBI knocking on your door. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I, what I was talking about was this thing called Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, okay. Never heard of it. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, because what you're talking about is like, it, that's a tax. I mean, you're paying 6% tax mm -hmm. every time you move. Now, you do make up for it in a lot of ways by not having to pay capital gains tax. Um, so that's good. So essentially, the government just gave a tax break to real estate agents. You know, they just gave their their loss in taxes, they gave part of it to the real estate agent market. So, but anyways, all that's to say, everyone needs to be very critical of their financial decision-making over the next, you know, well, really over their whole life, but specifically over market downturns like we are most likely going to see. And so pretty much be critical of everything. If anyone's trying to feel like you're trying to be coerced into some decision especially when it the person makes some money if you do something then you need to be very critical that is that's all i'll say so you know preaching to the choir here jordan i love it yeah yeah so all right well tomorrow's thanksgiving let's uh let's end it with one thing you are thankful for oh wow put me on the spot yeah. okay mm. I, i'll tell you what i'm thankful for that I have a very strong uh, gratitude for that I, that I didn't re I didn't think I would actually. I know this sounds bad, but so it's my nieces and nephews. So I got five mm. five nieces and nephews, right? By the way, four yeah. four nephews, only one niece. So and she's also the youngest. So she got to be taken okay. care of. Yeah, um, yeah. Having them, it's so much fun hanging out with them. Oh my gosh, so much laughter and like there is something about like seeing a young version of like, it's not my kids obviously, but they have my blood. Right. And like, I can mm -hmm. see even some of myself in them and something yeah. about that is just like a religious experience. It is amazing. Yeah. Okay. I love that. And you're going to get to see them tomorrow, Friday. Yes. Yeah. Friday, Perfect. Friday. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Mine's family related too. We're with the baby coming, I feel like that's maybe a cop out, but that is what I'm thankful for. Well, that healthy, healthy baby right now and healthy wife slash mother. So, yeah. Well, maybe we'll bring the baby onto the podcast. See oh, what she has to say. Definitely. She's like, ah, that's what she has to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good reminder because all of this. You know, while it can sound like a lot of times Jordan and Kendall, all they all they think about, talk about money, 
all of it is about what what your wealth preservation and wealth you know the growth of your assets what it can actually get you which is you know pretty much just a life with your family where you can enjoy those you love around you for as long as you can right so it's a good reminder for all of us amen brother amen mm. all righty well we'll leave it there happy thanksgiving to everyone and we will talk to you next week all right